0: And welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's
1: up, buddy? Well, Coomer, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat Basketball fan.
0: I was really looking forward to seeing how long you could take that and how long you could draw it out. Impressive performance next week next podcast. I want to see you take it even further but you are damn right Hummer. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Two new players have committed and signed to play for the Cincinnati Bearcats in the upcoming 2021 basketball season Who are they? Rapolis Ivanovskis and David DeJulius. How many times did you practice saying their names? I went on YouTube for an undisclosed number of minutes, searching for people saying them out loud to make sure I was saying it correctly. We all know that if you only read a name sometimes, you make up own, your own magical way of saying it. I may or may not have wanted DeJulius's name, for example, to be DeJulius. I would have loved to say it that way. Uh, but nonetheless, I will continue saying it the correct way moving forward. Um, Hummer, this rounds out. Well, we think it rounds out. We're not sure yet. There's there's still a, a wild card on the roster, and that's Prince Toyambi, uh, given his health status. We don't know what's happening there. Um, but as it stands, we have now added officially two grad transfers, actually one grad transfer and one just regular old-fashioned transfer in David DeJulius to our program, in addition to Tari Eason, Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen, and Mike Saunders Jr., six new additions for the upcoming season rounds out the class and gives us a really good idea as to what we can expect in the coming season. Now, in DeJulius' case, he may have to sit out a season. I think all of us are anticipating that the NCAA may expedite their uh, their change in rules where you don't have to sit out a year any longer, that's not official yet at this point. So, similar to Chris' vote, we may not know for a while whether DeJulius will actually play next season.
1: You know, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say I think that he's going to get a waiver. Uh, be, one because of the coaching change that he went through, the program uncertainty. So I think he has a case there. But then, I honestly think they're going to they're going to do something because of COVID nineteen. They're going to just kind of do a blanket waiver because there's so much uncertainty right now. It's going to be easier on them. That's just my personal opinion. But, you know, we'll get into that later.
0: Hey, before I do want to kind of before we get into our special guest, Hummer, uh, we actually were fortunate enough to be blessed with the presence of the recruiting guy. Brett Stein joined the podcast today. Uh, he, he writes for Bearcat Journal, covers recruiting, basketball recruiting for Bearcat Journal, extremely dialed in. Really great to have him on the podcast. And we certainly don't want to keep people waiting too long. But given that the roster has filled out, I would like to just spend some time kicking kicking the roster around with you. You know, we've got we've added some depth to the front court, we've added some depth to our guard position, and we know what we lost. We're losing Jaron Cumberland, we're losing Trey Scott, you know, two of the most important players on the roster last season. We also lost some depth uh, mid-season last year with Jay Sarola. Chris McNeil also left. Javen Cumberland. So obviously it's going to be a little bit of a youth movement with the Bearcats. Given the new roster additions, and maybe I should back up a second. Maybe we should talk briefly about what Rapalos and what De Julius actually bring to the program. So what have you learned so far about
1: Rapalos-Ivanouskis' game? So Rappas seems like he, he's big body, you know, six six nine, six ten, but he's offensively gifted for his size. So not only can he play the low post, he can also hit threes at a relatively high clip for his size. So he's gonna be able to spread the floor, but he's not gonna I don't think he's gonna take over the Chris Vote type of, of role. That's not why he was brought in. I really think he's brought in to replace Trey Scott. So I think we're looking at him more as a four. We're gonna look for him to to, to handle a lot of the same responsibilities. I think we're going to expect him to do something. He's probably not accustomed to, which is rebounding. Uh, he had that tremendous game against us where he, he pulled down, I think seven boards of his own, that game as well as throwing nine. up 19, uh, yeah. nine. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks 21 points,
0: him. nine boards in that
1: game against us. And I think that's what we're, we're going to, we're not going to expect that out of him every time, but I think it's what we're going to see with DeJulius. Julius. I think what we're learning is he's, he's a guard. He's quick. Uh, He's we always talk about on this pod that junior year is that year you look to see someone take that next step. And DeJulius seems at Michigan that he was poised to take that next step, potentially being their starting guard. So I'm I'm hoping that we get to see that transition here at Cincinnati to him being that starting guard. You know, Mike Adams Wood is good, and I think he's gonna take a step in his own right, but I think Mike's step is gonna be. More for, you know, from that not really being a scoring presence to be in that seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 points a game, which is respectable. And then I think the Julius could be in that hopefully that 13, 14 point range. And then if we get Keith Williams back, it's just going to be a deadly combination, in my opinion, of what we're going to have in terms of offensive firepower.
0: Well, let's have some fun talking about the roster here for a couple minutes. I did. There's a great piece on The Athletic for those who subscribe. Highly recommend if you don't. They're actually offering really good free trials right now while sports are out of session. But Justin Williams, uh, writer for, who covers UC sports for The Athletic, he, he was able to spend some time interviewing Rap. got a great quote out of him where uh, upon John Brandon's first text to Rap to let him know about being interested in him joining the Bearcats, um, apparently what John Brandon said was he described himself and said, this is the coach from Cincinnati, the team you torched last season. Uh, we are all, as Bearcat fans, very familiar with Rappolis's game because he absolutely dominated us in the second half of that game. He dropped 19 points. His offense is what clearly jumps off the page. He can operate in the low post. He can stretch it out to the three point line. He can take a couple uh, bounces as well. Just really, really comfortable with the ball, scoring. Really smart, high IQ player, and you know it's no it's no wonder John Brandon. Wanted him to join Uh, Drew McDonald, a player who was a conference player of the year in the horizon league and NKU is someone who thrived under John Brannon. I would say that Ivanowskis has a very similar profile and game to McDonald. Now, the one thing we should mention is that, and we're going to get into this with Brett Stein. We probably shouldn't step on everything we talk about with Stein. Um, His shooting percentages really fell off the map last season. He went from being a guy who was shooting above 50% overall in field goals, and he was over 40% on three point shots, to last year being in the low 40s overall, and he shot 27% ish uh, from the three point line. Interesting development. Uh, Stein makes some good points about what may be driving that, but we do, he is known to be a good shooter. He is known to be a really skilled offensive player. How that fits in with the current roster, specifically Chris Vogt, you know, I, I may disagree and, you know, stand on my soapbox about Mamadou Diarra being the starting center for this team next season. I, I'm going to continue saying that. However, I know it's not going to come to fruition. Most likely Chris Vote's our starting center. And if you start Chris Vote at the five and put Ivan next to him, to me, that's pretty slow footed in the, uh, on the front court. And Chris Vogt is obviously not a great defensive rebounder. We hope that is something that he improves on in the coming season. And Rappolis is certainly not the rebounder that Trey Scott was. So it's interesting to watch. It'll be interesting to see what Brandon does. Still, a big win for the Bearcats to get that type of offensive talent on our roster.
1: Well said. Well said.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm just, I'm excited, man. I could, I could talk about the kind of the lineup equations, what it means, You know, I think we probably should just get into the Brett Stein interview, Hummer, because the last
1: thing I last thing I'd say on it, though, is is the biggest thing that it brings to this team is depth. This we're going to have a lot deeper team. We're going to have a lot more guys capable of contributing this year that I don't think you're going to see just one main usage. You're going to have you're going to have 10 players out there who are getting used regularly and I think it's it's going to be key to success that that is the case next year. You're going to want to see multiple groups of personnel being subbed in and subbed out you know, at times during the games. And if we're able to do that, it's going to be very hard for other teams to plan against us. When you have the ability to bring in a Mamadou with a Chris vote, you have the ability to bring in a Rapalis or a Chris vote or a Rap-less mama Mamadou. It's going to be very hard to plan against these different combos. When you have this type of offensive firepower, so I'm looking very really forward to, to seeing how that develops next season and and what those rotations are going to look like because you can tell Brandon wanted to do that last year, just couldn't.
0: Right, we we, we, we weren't couldn't. a deep team, and then we lost guys. We lost Trevor Moore. We lost Jay Sarola. Uh, Zach Harvey was bouncing back from from ankle surgeries. Jaron Cumberland was injured throughout the season. Keith Williams was gimpy. Javen Cumberland was gimpy. The depth we have next season is going to allow for more comprehensive practices. Uh, If we do sustain an injury, we can sub in a guy much easier. And with that kind of depth, I think you made a great point. We're going to see basically those hockey lineup changes potentially because he does want to play 94 feet of defense. When your team's injured and you don't have depth, you can't play 94 feet of defense. Next season, that changes. Not only that, the, the team is essentially built for it. There are two guys on our team. I would say are not necessarily built for an up and down style. Chris Vote, he's not necessarily what you'd imagine pressing. However, he can he can be basically the last line of defense in a press, so he's fine there. And then Rappolis, every other guy on this team, you have long players, quick on their feet, athletic, rangy. John Brandon is is got to be just licking his chops to get this team at UC in the Shoemaker Center practicing. And you know now that the work is done. Uh, I'm sure he's, he's rooting for this COVID-19 situation to wrap up so he can get
1: to work with these guys. Speaking of wrapping up, is that enough time for us? Is it time to get to to Mr. Brett Stein's?
0: Yeah, we're, we're being way selfish here. Uh, Let's without further ado, let's spend some time with Brett Stein talking about the newest additions. We are now joined by recruiting expert, Bearcat journal legend, the go-to this time of year, Brett Stein. Brett, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Obviously, Brett, we had to speak to you this week because the Bearcat fan base got some extremely exciting news. We have officially received commitments and I believe signings from Rapalus Ivanovskis and David DeJulius. So Brett, before we get into the specifics of these two players and what they're going to be bringing to the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program, what can you tell me about the entity that is graduate transfer recruiting? It just seems crazy. You you hear about these guys getting contacted by 30, 40 teams at a time. How do coaches navigate the grad transfer portal?
2: It, it's a whole different animal. Um, this is the second year they've had it. Um, I was talking to Jason Smith. He's the coach um, over in New Hampshire. He, he coaches at a Brewster Academy, and he was uh, Ivan Askes's coach for his senior year. And he was telling me, since he's already transferred before, just as an example, he started at Northwestern, had injuries to his shoulder, and he, he was there for two years, didn't really play, then transferred to Colgate, was there for two years, did really, really well. He said this time around his phone started blowing up, And basically Coach Smith ended up kind of parsing through the schools that had reached out and then passed them along to Ivanowski a little bit to kind of figure out what schools he wanted to talk to because he wasn't big into the whole I'll talk to every school kind of thing having already transferred before. But it's overwhelming. And, yes, there are some schools that seems like every player that goes on the portal gets a call. It seemed like Arkansas and Cincinnati and Iowa State because they have four scholarships open still were contacting everyone that came through the portal. And it's a total minefield. And it's hard to really – Decide and figure out initially after all those schools contact players how many are serious and how many just kind of reach out a little bit just because it's they're doing their due diligence. Coaches are stuck at home, driving their their spouses crazy and their kids crazy. So for some coaches, it's like, oh, someone's in the portal now. I got to go, honey. Right
0: in Cincinnati, I saw Cincinnati tied to a ton of different graduate transfers. I'm not going to sit here and name them all, but you know, two in particular. If you had, if you had contacted the Cincinnati fan base last week, you know there were some people who were who were uh, getting close to the ledge there with losing out on Brandon Johnson or Jalen Tate. How, I mean, do you have any sense for the priori- prioritization of grad transfers in John Brandon's mind? You know, we're tied to so many different players, but we don't have spots for them all. You know, who was kind of higher on the totem pole and does it work that way where whoever just commits first gets the spot?
2: That's a tough question to answer. I mean, certainly their interest in Jalen Tate was very genuine. The fact that he can play some point guard, play on the wing. Brandon coached him for several years and was very familiar with his game. And his his dad played here, obviously, too. Uh, Jermaine Tate back in the late 90s, early 2000s on those Kenyon Martin, Pete Michael, Kenny Satterfield, DeMar Johnson teams. I think with Tate, it wasn't just ball handling, but the fact that He was a high level defensive player. So he was two time league defensive player of the year, three time all league defensive team that really appealed. And he he would have been a good fit because he would have kind of softened uh, the experience loss after all the players that left and graduated this year on the wing to kind of help improve that situation from an experience, stability, ball handling uh, defensive standpoint with Brandon Johnson. I didn't I didn't ever speak to him with some of the grad transfers. It's hard for me sometimes because I don't know these players and they go into the portal and all the schools are contacting them at will and then people like me also it they don't always get back to me. So on that one I think they would have taken him cuz he's an experienced player from Western Michigan. He could have helped fill the void from Trey Scott uh, from a rebounding perspective. And you got to remember when guys transfer up a level 2 There was a really good article, I think, on Stadium, I saw, I think Jeff Goodman wrote it, where all those mid-major transfers that move up a level, they don't average anywhere near the production points, rebounds, things like that when they move up to a higher level. So with the players, Cincinnati was able to land. Those are guys that have already played at that level, were high-level recruits, and seems like transfer better skills for what Coach Brandon wants to do.
1: Well, I think that's that's a good point. Go ahead. You um, you can look at it just from the experience of what we had last year uh, with, with Van Cumberland coming down from moving up to a level and, you know, he, he had a good season, but it was nowhere near as productive as what we thought it would, what it should have been.
0: Right. And it it reiterates the fact that when, when you don't get a certain grad transfer, it's not always the end of the world. You know, like they, these guys are making a, a leap up, but to take it into the guys that we actually did land, what's nice about, let's start with Rapalus Ivanouskis. This is a guy coming from Colgate, not a very big school. Like you said, he started his career at Northwestern, but Bearcat fans got a firsthand look last season at what this guy can do. He dropped 19 points in the second half against a player, Trey Scott in particular, who won defensive player of the year. What have you gotten to know and, and learn about Ivanouskis and his game?
2: Uh, uh, for, first things first, he speaks five languages fluently. So very, very intelligent player on and off the court. His parents are from Lithuania and he moved to the United States when he was very young. He grew up about a half hour, 30 miles outside Chicago and he committed Northwestern, went to Northwestern. So with a player like him, he spent two years in the Big Ten practicing against you know players. He only played about three games. And I, I think for him, once he got healthy, He's He has the ability to score inside and out. You think about the way Brandon used Drew McDonald at Northern Kentucky where the four or five man can kind of set a pick and roll or pop out or be a trailer on a break and shoot a three. So he can score in the post. He can pass a little bit or two assists a game last year, and he can stretch the floor for you. So I think with a player like him, he's been his league player of the year. He averaged about, I think, 14 points and almost eight rebounds last year. So I would say if you're going to translate that to this level, I could see him averaging anywhere from seven to 10 points per game and and five to seven rebounds. Um, He's not a shot blocker necessarily, but at about 6'9", 6'10", he could guard fours and fives in the American. He's been in college four years. He's graduated. He went to two excellent academic schools, very mature player who wants to get better, who thinks he's a good fit. And I think with everything happening, with no visits being allowed, you can't underestimate the fact that Colgate was added to the schedule and played at Cincinnati. He's been in the arena. He knows he could shoot on those rims. He scored 21 points and had nine rebounds in a game that his team won. So I think the fact that he couldn't take any visits helped Cincinnati because Brandon had scouted him, knew he was good, and that really paid off. If you read the piece by Justin Williams in The Athletic, when he spoke to Evan Askus about why Brandon and Cincinnati were so appealing to him.
0: Well, let's go into that. You know, uh, from just from your firsthand interactions, you said that his coach and he kind of had people around him help filtering uh, the types of schools and coaches that he might actually be interested in. What maybe caught his eye? I mean, obviously he played at Cincinnati, but knowing that he's going to play in a John Brandon type system, what was appealing to Ivanouskis from what you've gathered about the Cincinnati opportunity uh, playing at our university?
2: Well, I, I think having played on a championship team two years ago at Colgate, and he was on the team when Northwestern made their first tournament appearance, I think, ever, Um, he really values winning. And if you're looking at programs that are interested in you, Cincinnati's made nine straight tournaments. They likely would have made it this past year. More often, you know, not for sure, but more than likely they would have made it. They were the number one seed in the conference tournament based on tying for the regular season and winning the tiebreaker. So it's, it's a winning program. It's put a lot of players in the NBA, which is very appealing, and the style they play. You know, he scouted Cincinnati. He got to play against them. He, s- he sees how they use their big men. I think all of that was very appealing. And, and I think for someone like him who's trying to get back to a higher level and uh, have a lot of visibility, they're going to play a lot of big-name programs in the non-conference next season if there is a, a season. They're going to play Xavier. They're going to play at Tennessee. They're going to play, likely, Arizona or Texas Tech in the preseason NIT I've heard a few more high-level games around the calendar, and if you saw how Brandon scheduled, he wants really good mid-major teams on the calendar, too. They're going to play at Northern Kentucky. So I think all of those factors are what really appealed to Cincinnati for a player like Ivanowskis, and the fact that they lost Trey Scott. They lost two first-team all-conference players. There's a lot of minutes to be had there, and he'll be surrounded by some good players he played against this past season.
0: Well, we've got a lot of time in the offseason to speculate as to what Brandon's going to do from a rotation standpoint. In the front court now, we've got a, a rotation that looks like it's going to be Chris Vote, Ivanovskis, Mamadou Diara, and then also incoming freshman Tari Eason. The wild card I haven't mentioned, obviously, is Prince Toyambi. I don't think anybody has a real sense as to what is happening with him, unless you do. Do you have any information there, Brett?
2: Uh, they haven't an officially. I have a hard time. Seeing the university and, and the uh, athletic department clearing him to play, the nature of what happened with him and his surgery, uh, I don't think from a legal standpoint and also just doing right by the player, they could clear him to play basketball for the for the school based on the nature of his condition. So I think he'd be allowed to stay and be on scholarship and graduate if you want to stay here academically. I just would put it as more doubtful that he'll ever suit up and play for Cincinnati.
0: That's a bummer. That's, that's a bummer to hear. You know, I know that Jeff Green is someone who had heart surgery and did come back to play, but that was the NBA where you are professional, you are paid to play basketball, and obviously not every heart surgery is the same or heart condition. So uh, you know, I was hoping for the best. I was a big fan from afar of Prince Toyambi and everything that he could be. Um, but we'll see what happens. Regardless, those four players, it's an interesting kind of combination because you've got a freshman in Tari. Who knows how how quickly he'll adjust to the college game, especially on the defensive end? Chris vote we know struggled defensively last season. He did have one of the worst uh, synergy ratings on the defensive side. So pairing a player like Ivanowskis with vote, that's where I'm really curious what Brandon's going to do and how he's going to juggle uh, that front court rotation.
2: Yeah, I think unlike last year when Soroil left the team midseason, it really reduced their um their depth in the front court. You know, Davenport kind of filled in a little bit earlier in the year as kind of the backup four man. And then Diara kind of emerged in that role once conference play started. And then he started to fill in more at the five towards the very end of the season and kind of split minutes late on the last few games with Vote at center. So with, with those four guys you mentioned, you know, Easton brings a lot of athleticism, a lot of ball skills, improved passing and outside shooting. He won a state championship and was named MVP in the 3A region in Washington State. So he's a guy coming off a very successful high school season. And he played under NBA players. He's had coach Brandon Roy, who was the rookie of the year for the Portland Trailblazers. So a very high level of coach competition where he was playing high school ball. With Diara, he's in the 6'9 range. He has got he can shoot the three. Not a guy who needs the ball to impact the game. He He's very athletic, long arms, can rebound, especially on the offensive end. And he offers you the chance to play the four and the five. You know, with vote, he's kind of an eight-feet-in-scorer, and takes up a lot of space. I think for him, he needs to improve his his rebounding. Many times last season, I would see him have his hands on the ball or have a box out, and he didn't come down with it. So for a guy who's seven one two sixty, 260, fine-tuning that. And like you said, he needs to make some improvements on the defensive end in terms of his footwork. And maybe uh, that's something he could work on on his own because, again, no one's there on campus right now. Right, and then right. with Ivan Oskis, Ivan I mean, he's a guy that can score. He's played against high level players. He can finish with, you know, on a a post up. He could pop out. He could shoot threes. He can distribute the ball a little bit, too. And he's a good shooter. He didn't shoot as well from three last year. But again, the line moved back three feet. So he shot 43 percent two years ago and more like 27, 28 percent last year. So if we kind of split the difference there, he's in the mid 30s. That's a very respectable percentage. It's someone that helps open up the floor when he's on the court, and it gives you a lot of different lineup combinations for those four and five spots next season.
0: Is there anything out there? You know, this is kind of be my last question with regard to Ivanowski. I did notice the the really massive drops in shooting percentage last season. I, I'm glad you brought up the three point line. That is a a potential explanation for it. Was there anything injury related, um, or? any other speculation as to what that drop-off was driven by? Because you hear about his great shooting, but then you look at the percentages and it was a really rough shooting year last year.
2: Uh, I I don't think I read anything regarding any kind of injury. I think he played in every game they had. Obviously the year before he got cleared to play and got the waiver right the, the day of their first game two years ago. And then he started off pretty well. And then once conference play hit, I was watching a video on him, he really started to turn on, became the conference player of the year. But it wasn't like he was the favorite when conference play started. So I think he caught some teams by surprise since he wasn't you know, there the year before. And then this past season, if you kind of compare him a little bit to Jaron, when he's the focus of the other team scouting report and he's the main guy you need to shut down. He still gets his points, but it it takes more shots to get there. So you'll see some drops in percentages, things like that. And the fact that he's had shoulder injuries, you know, if anything like that flared up, that could have affected his shooting a little bit. I can't really say for sure. That's just speculation on my part. But when you're at the top of the scouting report versus like the third or the fourth guy, that's going to have an impact on your shooting percentages and just teams running more defenders at you, especially in the Patriot League, where, you know, teams can maybe double you a bit more and let someone else loose with less of a, And on their part, cutting someone open and having them beat them from the perimeter, for example. So maybe that was that was part of the drop in his shooting and production this past season.
1: I think that's a good point, too. You're bringing up with with what teams do with the scouting reports, because I think one of the other issues Chris Vogt had more towards the middle of the season is he got scouted heavily. And it shut his game down because without you mentioned his footwork on the defensive end, I think he needs some footwork on the offensive end, too, with some more more low post moves to be able to effectively score from outside of that that three foot range. So I think having another player of that size who's not necessarily going to be caking Chris Vogt's spot in a sense, because I know from what we've seen in that interview with Justin Williams, he mentioned he wants to play the four, and it seems like that's who kind of Brandon was saying, hey, we want you to come in here to replace Trey Scott. This is the guy you're going to come in here to re- replace. So I think that's going to actually help Chris Vote having someone else who is probably, you know, as good as Trey Scott was as an offensive threat, it seems like this guy, uh, Rep, has the same tools, per se. Um, but we do have another player that was was brought on, uh, David DeJulius from Michigan. You mentioned he came over, averaging I think it was twenty one minutes a game, about seven points a game. What are you seeing from him? What is he going to bring to the Cats in terms of of that type of transition?
2: Before I hopped on with you guys, I was talking to someone else. I speak to just about every day, and what I said to this friend was, I was like, he he might be the best offensive threat at point guard Cincinnati's had since early in Cashmere Wright's career. When I say that, I mean he's a guy who's about six feet, maybe a shade under, very quick, can get into the lane, can shoot, make you pay from outside, and can really be used in, in a pick-and-roll setting. He did very well with Michigan in that sense. He has to be respected. He shot 36% from deep last year and about 70% in limited attempts from the free-throw line. And he played and uh, arguably the toughest conference in America last year in the Big Ten. So with a player like him, he's really explosive with the ball in his hands. He's more of a scorer. But to have a guy like that, if he starts, if he comes off the bench, if he's eligible next year, seven points per game in a backup role at the Big Ten, if he's playing 28, 30 minutes a game for Cincinnati with the players around him, if he can get his own shot and generate offense and be able to push the pace, which we know was what Brandon wants, He's the kind of guy who could be really effective in this offense. And I think you'll see a little bit less of the uh, the iso. Jaron has the ball in his hands that we saw a lot in the half court this past season. But he's another guy you could play with the Saunders or play with uh, a few other wings. And any of those guys can get the ball and go. So with the Julius, I think his athleticism, his speed, and his ability to score from outside and getting into to the rim, to the free throw line, will open up a lot of things because he's a guy you have to respect. I mean, no offense to the Chris mcneil but when he had the ball uh, late in the season no one expected you know he wasn't shooting shots he wasn't really a threat to score and the Julius gives you someone who provides scoring at the at the one spot who could also play off the ball a little bit as well well and yeah,
1: Julius basically shook after that Bowling Green game uh, but something you mentioned that I think is of particular importance here is the eligibility uh what what's the likelihood of a waiver being granted is 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 the situation we had at the end of the season, even though he's not a senior, is that going to be taken into account? Do you think there's a a likelihood that we're going to get a waiver for him to play?
2: I, I think they're voting next month whether to allow transfers to just play without sitting out a year. And I think the problem the NCAA is going to run into, and other people have spoken about this as well, is that with everything that's going on, the NCAA doesn't want to deal with waivers anymore. So to look at every case, else the LC NCAA has to consider with, you know, whole seasons being canceled and when football or basketball may even start. I think if they might pass it the year after, if if they have enough pressure on them, I think they just might give everyone that wants to transfer or did transfer immediate eligibility. Um, If they have to file a waiver, I don't know what the strength of his case would be, um, other than the fact that obviously his second year. Um, the coach that recruited him left and he was under a new coach and there was some uh, some transition there and it didn't work out for him. So I don't know what he would argue in terms of a waiver, but I think it's trending towards no sit out one year in residence being required now for basketball and football transfer.
0: That'd be huge. You know, it's beating a dead horse, but Brandon has loaded this this roster with guys who are offensive threats you know, McNeil was a awesome defender last season when he was on the court, but he was playing at a point guard position and that, that added another guy who was a complete non-threat from the perimeter. And in today's style of basketball, it just makes it incredibly difficult to score consistently and generate offense. If you've got two guys on the court who are just non-threats, um, anything you could tell me, you know, to Julius, this is a guy who is, I guess the sixth man for Michigan basically, right? You know, he's, He's able to play pretty good minutes and was potentially going to be the starting point guard um, for the Wolverines this coming season had he stayed. How does that how is Brandon? How do you think Brandon balances having a guy like DeJulius potentially be eligible with also having Micah Adams Woods with having Mike Saunders Jr. I know you can never have too many talented guys on a roster, but there are only so many minutes to go around.
2: That's a great question. And that's something that I think they had to consider pretty strongly because obviously they wanted to make sure that, that Mike Saunders Jr. was going to be comfortable with that. And the fact that the two of them spoke and you know everything seems to be very, very good there is, is a good sign because... Players like Mike Saunders Jr., you know, he spent the last two years playing at Wasatch Academy in Utah, and they brought in a point guard in the 2022 class named Richard Isaacs, and they had to play with each other this past season. He's a point guard. So that gave Mike a chance to play off the ball a little bit and just have someone else to practice against, and he doesn't shy away from competition. So I think bringing in someone else who's two classes ahead of him is going to push him to bring his A game and will allow him to come along, especially his freshman year, at his own pace. So instead of him being relied upon for 25 minutes a game, he'll get less than that but it'll give him a chance to get more comfortable and as we saw this past season as players improve throughout the year you saw with Mike Adams-Woods and Zach Harvey and then Davenport in the Memphis game if you're a freshman but you're showing you can help the team and help us win you're going to play so with so many major piece is gone from last year's team. I think that's got to be the selling point to some of these players that it's going to be crowded. There'll be competition and that's what they want. And it's, it's a fine line to walk because as we know, with, with players transferring as, as often as they are, you, you don't want that to create any kind of tension or dissension in the locker room. And also I, I have to believe with, uh, with the guys they have, there's not really set positions. You know, it's not like you're the center, you're the power. it's more, positionless type of basketball so it's more like guards and wings and then forwards so for all for all those reasons i would say if he gets a waiver or if he's eligible to play next season i think he'll see the bulk of the minutes at the one but you've got multiple guys that can kind of fill in as secondary ball handlers or he can move off the ball and be more of a scoring option in the half court as well so i think that's how they're going to explain it and i would expect brandon to be there in his basement since everyone's stuck now in his lab tweaking around with lineups and different combinations for how to get all these guys on the court, because he's talked about having four quality guards. If you want to be an NCAA team and go far, you need four quality guards. So loading up in the backcourt based on the way he wants to play and run his team makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah. yeah we- and it seems like we've had a lot of openings this season. Like he's mentioned with, with people leaving um, something I also thought was a little interesting too, is the Julius moving his decision back to today. Uh, Did that have anything to do with DJ Carton making his decision to go to Marquette? Was he was that something where he might have been looking at Marquette? DJ got there first. He's now reevaluating the landscape.
2: Uh, Honestly, the way this all happened, when the Julius went into the portal, which was middle of last week, he very quickly, within a couple of days, cut it to the four schools that he was considering. So his process was much quicker than I think some of the guys that end up in the portal, especially that have multiple years of eligibility. So I think with Marquette, if they got carton last night, they've probably known for maybe a couple of days or longer that he was likely going to pick them or go there. So I don't know how hard Marquette pushed or how much he looked at Marquette. Um, that's pretty far away from where he grew up in Michigan. Of the four schools he was looking at, Marquette, Missouri, Cincinnati, Iowa State, Cincinnati's by far the closest from where he is in Michigan. So if distance was a factor, you know, Cincinnati was the closest one. And I also think if you're looking at Foster, um, you know, Missouri's point guard, I think his name, Pinson, is in the, he's, I think he's in the draft right now with the possibility to come back, where Cincinnati, their point guard kind of graduated, and they've got a freshman coming in. So there's a lot of minutes there. Iowa State has a lot of minutes to offer as well their best player Tyrese Halliburton who had a Cincinnati offer a couple of years ago by the way he's he's going to the NBA he'll be a, a first round pick they have a lot of minutes but they had they've had a bunch of guys leave the last couple of years so there's a lot of instability at that school and I think if you looked at everything and, and the winning that Cincinnati tra- has traditionally that made it most appealing for David Julius to pick Cincinnati
1: we're the best what can we say
0: Well, we are much more of a powerhouse in terms of basketball than those other schools. It is interesting, right? So Keith Williams right now has declared for the NBA draft, you know, everyone can have their opinions on whether or not he stays or not, even if he comes back. The Bearcats find themselves in a situation where there's Keith Williams and there's Mamadou Diara in terms of players who actually played minutes for the team two seasons ago. So at this point, even if with Keith Williams or without – we're in a situation where the entire roster is comprised of players, where there's not an actual natural hierarchy to who is the dominant player, who's going to play you know, a majority of minutes. I mean, it's a pretty much – it's a free-for-all, essentially, and I think you're right. It's going to lead to incredible competition in practice, guys who all believe that they can earn and get significant minutes. That does toe the line, though, with creating an environment where you know some guys are going to lose out. Some guys are going to end up playing more minutes than others – And that can lead to some natural friction um, in terms of what it means for the Bearcats down the line. Certainly not something we have to worry about now. It's nice to have the options, but it will be interesting to watch as next season plays out.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think you have to remember, too, you know, last summer, once they got all the commitments and everyone got to campus, you know, Davenport had knee surgery, Trevor Moore had surgery. Micah Adams-Woods had two root canals. I don't know if you guys knew that. Zach Harvey was not far removed from ankle surgery and wasn't 100%. So they were practicing with less than 10 active, you know, 10 healthy players. So even if they have 12, 13 guys next year, not including walk-ons, you know, there's always the possibility that, you know, someone could get hurt. Someone could have some other kind of issue where they can't play, and that has to be considered as well. So I think... Like you said, now looking at it, you want to have as much talent as possible. And then as the season approaches and practice approaches, you can kind of adjust accordingly. You know, I don't know if that would mean someone might redshirt because you've got right now, um, you know, four incoming freshmen, uh, a transfer with two years of eligibility and then a graduate transfer with one year. So it gives more balance to the classes. You have three seniors next year then with Ivanouskis, Diarra. excuse me, Ivanouskis, Keith Williams, and vote. And then in the junior class, you'd have just the Julius and Diara. So you didn't want to have like 10 freshmen and sophomores. You want to have a little more um, balance to that so as not to have too many people in one class. So that's something the coaches are going to have to figure out and uh, I, I think kind of sell to the players a little bit because guys are less likely in today's game to want to wait their turn and put in their dues. And I think back... To uh, Bearcat Dion Dixon, if you remember him, so mm-hmm. he had the uh, the game-winning, game-sealing dunk against Florida State to get them to the Sweet 16. When uh, in, t- in 2000 was it 10 or 12? And when he early in his career, he played a lot as a freshman, and then the next year, Lance Stevenson came in very late and took away a lot of Deion's minutes. And Sean Kilpatrick signed in that class, and he redshirted after doing a prep year. So Sean Kilpatrick played as a redshirt freshman. This guy's like 23 years old. You know, He's very experienced. But if, if you look at today, if this happened now, would Deion Dixon have stayed at Cincinnati and waited his turn a year, or would he have gone to the transfer portal? That's
0: a great point. And that I mean, that season captured how chaotic it could become because in addition to that, I believe it was Deontay Vaughn's senior year, And if you look at his, you know, what he finished with, he was averaging like 11.7 points per game. Ball wasn't in his hands as much, and it can create maybe uh, less than ideal dynamics in terms of just everyone's happiness on the team. I'm happy. I want to make clear make sure everyone understands. I'm extremely happy with how this played out. Uh, I think in terms of who was actually on the table for the Bearcats to potentially land, these are two of the better transfers we could have hoped for to supplement and and kind of complement the four incoming freshmen that we already have on the, on the table. Um, Brett really appreciate you joining us today. Hummer. Do you have any other questions before for Brett, before we let him go?
1: Not really. Just, uh, you know, I think with the two additions, these transfers beforehand, you and I've talked extensively about how is this team, you know, what's our, what's our way too early outlook for this team. I think the additions that we brought in, I think we're back to that. Okay. I have realistic expectations that this team's going to be a contender next year we're we're going to be fighting for, you know, a chance at another title. I'm not saying we're the outright favorites to win the conference by any means, but I definitely think what what coach Brandon has done is put us in the place where we can contend.
0: So, I guess it's time for me to ask you, Brett. You know, I'll leave you with this. Based on what we've seen in Brandon's first two recruiting classes, uh, one of which was kind of put together very haphazardly last second, this is kind of his full first full recruiting class, is Brandon better suited to recruit to the University of Cincinnati than Mick Cronin?
2: I think the fact that he also grew up kind of in this area is helpful, coached very close by as well. I think Brannon's advantage in some ways in recruiting is he's very into the advanced statistics and metrics, splicing up footage to show players how they'd be used in his system. So I think that gives him a little bit of an edge in the fact that I think he played college basketball. That's very helpful. And he's in his, you know, he's in his 40s. So he's a younger coach with a significant amount of experience as an assistant and doing recruiting, I think all that plays into his favor. And I would also just say, you know, it's hard to really compare the two because when Mick took over, obviously, there was almost no one on the roster, and then they were in the Big East as well. So now you're in not quite as tough of a league, um, but you still have the benefits that Mick didn't really get to enjoy, like a brand-new arena to play in, and you know, a bit of that, which is certainly helpful. So I think towards the end of Mick's tenure, it just got... You know, he had been there over 10 years. It got a little bit more difficult to recruit. And, you know, sometimes guys just don't pan out the way you expect. I think it's nice. It's easy to look now with just, you know, having one class that played one year in, in just a backup role. I think that's a better conversation to have three to five years down the road when you can fully assess how those players performed at the college level. Yeah,
0: I definitely make that comment a little bit tongue in cheek. Mick Cronin recruited plenty of really good players for the Bearcats. This has been a bit of an injection of life, though, to the program. Recruiting just seemed to have been a, a plateaued a bit, might be the word, over the last few seasons. Really happy with how the first couple of classes have gone for John Brandon, But now it's time to see the results. He has to coach him. He has to build him up. Uh, Got to get him in the weight room, and we'll see how it plays out. Brett, I know you've been a busy man this week. Really appreciate, pre- appreciate you joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Thank you, sir.
2: Happy to stop by, guys. Thanks a lot.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you.